Well, the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues, and we go to uh, Sam Amick of USA Today to help us. I'm Tim Roy. Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers tomorrow night at the 7 o'clock airtime on KMBR uh, 680 as Golden State will try to avoid their first three-game losing streak of the year. And, uh, Sam, as we start uh, with our, our look around the league here, I, I guess the first thing I wanted to, to, uh, to ask you about was you know, if you wanted to, uh, or at least mention, is the fact that if you want to look at how the things have changed for the Golden State Warriors this year, last night after the game, you know, we're looking at the, the first two-game losing streak in, in two months. Warriors had not lost back-to-back games since November the 10th. That's impressive. No doubt. No, no doubt. And, and I've seen, you know, signs like that all year long. I mean, that's a good one. That's a, a healthy stretch to not lose two in a row and, I, I told somebody before that when they lost to the Lakers in that close game a while back, you know, I remember being at that game and being surprised at you know the mood and how despondent Warriors people were over a loss like that. That in the past, I think they would have said, "Well, geez, we we kept up with the Lakers. That was great." You know, that whole vibe of of uh, just entertain us, and if you if you can get the W, that's great. I think that's gone. You know, people are enjoying uh, the new ways of this world and. Listen, it's a good team, talented team, and you lose to the Clippers and the Grizzlies. I mean, those are no slouches, but uh, you know they, you know they, uh, they, they're going to want to turn it around. Sam, let's get to the uh, the story of the week in in the association, and uh, that has to be what's happening with the Sacramento Kings. Yesterday, uh, a story broke that said uh, the Kings are in negotiations with Seattle, which uh, uh, Seattle, a group from Seattle, which involves in an entrepreneur and investment man from San Francisco, and the price tag was $500 million. That's what the reported number was, and that the Kings would start to play in Seattle in 2013-2014. How solid is this story? I mean, obviously, I think you know a lot of people around the league have felt the Maloofs have been out there kind of trying to figure out where they want to go with their next move, but how solid is this, and would that ownership group be able to... to get this done before the early March deadline for relocation? Well, I mean, the story is, is solid in, in terms of the fact that Seattle and the Chris Hansen and Balmer group um, and, and Nordstrom's is involved as well, that they made significant progress talking to the Blues. And, uh, you know, listen, it, it did seem yesterday like it was, it was close. But here's the thing, and we've learned this before in the past, when it comes to the Malou family, that owns the team, you know, it, nothing's done until it's done. They backed out of an arena deal in Sacramento last February. We thought they were going to Anaheim the year before that. You know, that didn't happen. And so as we sit here talking today, I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what to make of it. I, I still think that the, the Hanson group talks incredibly confidently, you know, and I've talked to people who have spoken with them, and they act as if eventually it'll get done. Not There's no timeline, you know, within the month, that sort of thing. But... Where it gets interesting is that because the story broke, I, I'm starting to wonder and I'm starting to hear that, you know, there might be a chance, however, you know, however small, that the uh, the bidding war that Sacramento Mayor Kevin Johnson was hoping for might actually take place, and we'll see if that happens. But to his credit, Kevin has not taken his eye off this ball, and I know for a fact that even in the last three four weeks, he's been going to great lengths to start lining up potential buyers that would keep the team in Sacramento, knowing that this day was going to be coming at some point. I don't know how widely, you know, that that window of opportunity, 
how open it is now, and or if, if maybe it's shut. But uh, you know, we just got to wait and see. When you talk about the uh, potential uh, bidders for Sacramento, and I was listening to Kevin Johnson in his press conference yesterday, but to me that that five hundred—that's a lot of money. I mean, that's a big ticket item right there. And and can they come up with a group? Do you think that that will be able to match that kind of cash? Well, I'll be honest. You know, I, uh, if I would have studied harder in, in math class, then I'd be better suited to break this thing down right now. Because the problem is, it, the formula and the equation that you're dealing with is is pretty pretty complex. And, and what I'm talking about is that you know you have two different. You're talking apples and oranges in terms of Sacramento and Seattle. If you take the team to Seattle, the you're talking about a probably a approximately thirty million dollar relocation fee that's got to get accounted for. The Maloofs owe $77 million to uh, the city of Sacramento. That's got to get paid if they leave. And then, in, in, a, you know, in addition to that, they owe a boatload of money to the NBA. That number's never been nailed down, but the rumors are that it's about, you know, $100, 125000000 million, somewhere in there. So once you start adding up the, the, the numbers, um, you know, you've got to have a huge number to make something like Seattle happen because of some of the unique components that come with taking the team out of Sacramento. The question is, so, you know, the the local uh, buyers, and one in particular, Ron Burkle, has been out there a little bit, and he's still involved. He's a billionaire from L.A. that Kevin Johnson is very tight with and been working with. Uh, I don't know what number in Sacramento is equivalent to $500 million in Seattle. That's, I think, the key question at the moment. But it, it, hopefully I made that point well enough. But you're not talking apples and apples when it comes down to the, the actual number on the offer. And I guess what the other question would be is, if if they don't get it done with this deal, what happens? Because you know, right now they're in limbo, and that's the worst thing you could be. And 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 then if they're announcing they're moving, they're in a lame duck year, which is obviously one of the worst case scenarios in a pro sports team. But if this deal does not get done, what happens with the Kings? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'd be ugly. They're going to need to get a deal done. They they've got to either do Seattle or, you know, see what happens locally. But I, I really think, I mean, at this point, they've got to get a deal done. March 1st is the relocation deadline if they're going to leave town. Uh, and, you know, make no mistake, the, you know, the, the most of the, you know, the, the betting man is going with Seattle at the moment and by a long shot. But uh, it's going to be ugly starting tonight. I'm actually I'm in Reno now for the D-League Showcase. I'm going to head down the road and go to the Kings-Dallas game tonight and, I'm curious to see just how, how bad the mood and the vibe is there. So uh, you're dead on. I mean, somebody said yesterday, said, man, think about this. You know, we'll probably never see the Maloofs inside that arena again. You know, and if they, if the Seattle thing happens, that, that could be the case. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they're going to lose a lot of cash in the, in the coming weeks and months because of the situation and the effect it has on attendance. Sam Amick of USA Today is joining us here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Always a pleasure to talk some round ball with him. You mentioned you're in Reno at the D-League Showcase. You know, the, to me, that's kind of uh, almost basketball purity, you know, because most of those guys are not under the big-ticket contract. Most of them are playing, you know, for, for the dream. Uh, what kind of uh, gems have you unearthed up there? Well, I wish I had more to report on the uh, the, the actual talent in the game. Truthfully, I... It's become an event where, if you cover the league nationally, it's kind of a gold mine in terms of getting some good time and access with the more influential people in the game, the front office guys, and even you know the Warriors folks are up here. You got a, a big Warriors contingent, and so that's where you, know, you end up 
kind of schmoozing and talking the entire day in the stands and, and not breaking down the talent uh, like some of the, the more hardcore uh, you know, guys would. But you know, I can tell you that um, you know, Jerome Jordan is a guy, a, a big that's been playing pretty well. Um, but even uh, another guy that, that I actually used to cover, uh, Hassan Whiteside, is a is a big man who's who's been you know putting up big numbers up here. And it's it's the whole culture of the D League fascinates me. You're talking about a couple guys on each team that are making big money on NBA contracts, and then like you said, the majority of those guys are. I mean, listen, they're the the max money. For a D League player, if you've not signed an NBA contract, is twenty five thousand dollars for a season. So you talk about playing for love of the game, and then not you know not just love of the game, but but fighting and scrapping and to try to get to the big time. Uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. Sam, let's talk about a couple of different uh, teams, and there's one team I can't make up my mind on, so I need your help, and that's the Houston Rockets. Uh, you know, Daryl Morey has been talking about you know his way of doing things for the last few years, but they're they've been kind of in no man's land. You know, they've been right around 500 the last few years, but they're not a playoff team. Is this year's Rockets team, since they made the trade to get James Harden, is this team for real? Well, I, they're they're a good team. They've improved. I, I don't see them. They're not a top four team in the West. They're gonna. I think they'll be a playoff team. They're still missing a piece to me. They they've done such a a nice job, you know, drafting with you know, guys like Budinger and players like that. You know, and Harden is such a, a phenomenal addition, but it, it's almost like a, a lesser version, ironically, of the Oklahoma City Thunder when you talk about a perimeter-oriented team. You know, the Thunder were able to get a guy like Serge Ibaka that is a game-changer, and then Kendrick Perkins down in the middle. That's the kind of stuff that the Rockets have got. Omar Ashik, and he's a, a nice addition. They just they still need another guy. I just think they... Uh, they don't have enough bullets in their gun, you know. When it comes time to get out of the, maybe maybe get out of the first round, we'll see. But uh, so a good team, but but no, I'm not I'm not expecting to see them in the in the conference finals. And and Jeremy Lin's a player that, you know, I think he's kind of finding his uh, his his medium. He's he's kind of settle, settling back down, and, and it seems like that Jeremy is going to not be the you know the two week unbelievable burst we saw in New York, but he's going to be a good player. Yeah, no doubt, and I, I know for a fact that you know. Listen, Daryl Morey and those guys are relieved and enjoying the fact that Jeremy Lin and James Harden are quickly showing an ability to play together, which was not the case early on uh, in the opening weeks of the season. It really started looking like some pretty, you know, pretty indicting material. If you broke down the way the team played when Jeremy and James shared the floor, it was pretty rough, and that's a tough thing for you know. You 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 gave up so much for a guy. Like uh, Harden, the idea that he can't play with Jeremy Lin was probably you know panicking those guys. But they're rolling together, they're playing well together, and I agree with Ted Jeremy. He, uh, you know, it, I always get the sense that he blew up in New York, but you probably know him better than I do, Tim. But personality-wise, that he probably wasn't uh, complaining about getting out of that spotlight in New York. But uh, you know, he uh, he's got to produce. That's that's a big contract he signed, and and a lot of expectation. Those guys. You know they uh, they put a lot in them, so we'll see. The other team I wanted to ask you about was the Dallas Mavericks, and they made some moves in the off season, brought in some veterans, but it, it and even now Dirk is back, but it just doesn't seem like they have the the right mix. And is this a a way? Are the Mavericks kind of playing for next year? Yeah, I mean, they, I think the Mavericks are just still suffering the ripple effect of of the decision they made to, to bust up a championship team. I mean, yeah, they're playing. They've got cap room this coming year. They 
they continue to claim they're not going to trade Dirk Nowitzki. That's just not happening. So who do you put around Dirk? I don't think I think it's pretty bleak for Mavs fans. They Dirk to me is just he's just not the he's not a Kobe. I don't think he's not the kind of guy that we're going to see you know have the ability to play until he's 39, 40, 41 years old. I mean Kobe seems like he'd go forever, but not only that, you know, you have that cap room. I don't the young stars of this league. I don't think. Uh, I mean, money talks, so maybe I'll be wrong, but the idea of, of partnering with Dirk, I think the youngsters of this league would look at that and say, geez, I have so much respect for Dirk, but it's too bad I couldn't get Dirk of five years ago. Um, so it's a tough formula, and right. this, you know, even beyond that, the, the mood in the culture with the Mavs, it's, it's not a great time out there. They, uh, you know, they've, they did what they had to do based on their view of the collective bargaining agreement and the, the cap and all the changes that were made in the lockout. And they, they made a, a deliberate choice, but so far it's, it's just not working out. If you're the Miami Heat, do you take a flyer on Greg Oden? Yeah, I mean, it's nothing to, you know, there's no harm. You could. You could. I mean, they're taking flyers, you know, they're working out Chris Anderson. They're, they're uh, bringing Dexter Pittman back and forth from their D-League team and, you could. Um, he's a young guy, and listen, if he can be 60% of what you know, we thought he could be, to, uh, to fill space down there and uh, just you know, crash the boards and, and even just be a, a put-back guy offensively uh, and just stay healthy, and obviously that's what he has not been able to do. But I don't know. I, mean, I haven't talked to his people in a while about him. I, I don't know exactly the state of where he's at physically, but I really, yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought of that, but to be honest with you, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, I think he's just now, you know, I, I saw a rumbling that he's, you know, he wants to get back on the court, and he's been off, you know, for a long time with all those injuries, but if if you're Miami, why not? I mean, he's even if he just protects the rim for you, he gives you a, a different body that you can throw out there against some of the uh, the bigger guys they have to go up against, and and, well, and they and, have nothing to give up. That's the thing. I mean, there's right. no secret. They they call teams, and, you know, looking for big men, and, and, and every team just says the same thing. Guys, what are you going to even give me Mike Miller? Like, I'm not taking that contract. They don't have any assets right. to, to, get, to get something else done. So, you know, the flyer is the perfect way of describing it. They, uh, they don't really have many options, and, and so to me, Greg would be an interesting one. Is, is Memphis trying to move Rudy Gay just because of contract? I don't know that it's fair. Well, I'm still kind of torn on this. You know, the Memphis side. What I'm hearing is that they're kind of they claim they're taking a bad rap for doing their due diligence, and it's a new ownership group, a new management group, and that they're gathering information and data, trying to you know find out what the league thinks of its players, and that is that's fair. That's something that you do have to do. But the way with which they've done it, and the style has left rival teams, you know, singing a different song where they. Are saying no? Listen, you know, yeah, they ask him. You know, the, yeah, we talk about a lot of guys in their team, but Rudy is clearly the guy that they seem to have an interest in moving. Why are they doing it? Yeah, I do think it's uh, largely financial. Rudy is a heck of a player, but it, you know, if you looked at today's NBA and again the new CBA and the way the the uh, the, the cap and luxury tax works, paying a guy like that sixteen, seventeen million dollars for the next couple of years. He's not worth his contract, and, and I like Rudy as a player, but uh, if you're just talking about efficiency of a contract, it's not a good contract. So that is a factor. They're, they're about $4 million over the tax, and next year is when the tax uh, goes up uh, you know, significantly, and, and teams 
I, I get punished even more for being in luxury tax. So that's those are the exerting influences that are going on. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he gets traded. His camp kind of does, which I found interesting. You know, his people seem to, but uh, I'm not so sure that, that I see him moving. Sam, final question for you. Are there storylines that you're going to keep an eye on here as we head toward the, not head toward, we're actually in the middle part of the season, as we head toward the All-Star break, are there some storylines you're going to keep your eyes out for? Yeah, there's a bunch. You know, some of the the usual suspects, I mean, the Lakers obviously are a train wreck, and that's just mind-boggling, and now they got injuries on top of injuries, and and lost five in a row, and really at this point look like you know we're not even going to see them in the playoffs, which is just just incredible, considering the way we looked at that team last summer. Beyond that, you know, I guess you go the the big boys of the East. The the Knicks are interesting to me. They got off to such a great start. Carmelo, a key question for me, started looking like maybe he you know he was going to become the latest superstar to rectify his reputation like LeBron did, and and become a leader and and have you know MVP type season and and it'd be a success story, but, you know, he's run into a couple bumps in the road, had his thing with Garnett the other night, and, you know, can the Knicks get back to the level they were at early this season? That's another one that interests me. Sam, it's always a pleasure to uh, read your prose on the league, as you know, and we appreciate you being a friend of Warriors Radio and the continued success, and we look forward to seeing you out at Oracle uh, many times this year. Sounds good, Tim. Thank you, sir.